Don't worry, Darlene, we didn't forget about you. The elders are going to pray for our newest trustee at the end of the service. So, But I'm excited. We're going to jump into the scriptures this morning. We're in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26. So during this 40 days of prayer, we're going to look at the miracles of Jesus. We started last week looking at the miracles of Jesus. And today we're looking at Jesus and the demoniac. Uh, This may be a passage that you're familiar with. It may be a passage, if you are familiar with it, you've thought, this is kind of a strange one, Rick. So we're going to walk through that and, and take a look. But let me just say this. We are spiritual creatures. And we live in a world that is a spiritual world. Now the interesting thing about that is, for a while, that was obvious to everyone. I mean, going back to, let's say, the Middle Ages, medieval times, everybody knew we lived in a spiritual world. Everybody thought there are spiritual forces at work that are good and bad. Uh, then we came, came the Enlightenment, and people said, no, 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 there's none of the spiritual stuff. Everything is purely natural. Uh, what we can see with our eyes is all that there is. Well, now we're in a sort of post-Enlightenment time, which most people now believe, yeah, we do live in a spiritual world, that there are spiritual forces at work, and that I'm a spiritual person. But the problem is, so that's a good start, but here's the problem, in my opinion, there's no discernment. So being, recognizing that we are spiritual is a good start, but it's just the start. Uh, there is spiritual good in this world, and there is spiritual evil. So when today, when somebody says, I'm a spiritual person, uh, what that mean? That could mean any number of different things, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that they're a Christian at all, that they believe in Jesus at all. It can just mean that I'm into things that are beyond what is merely physical. Um, when we say as Christians, you're a spiritual person, what we hopefully mean by that is somebody who is led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but again, spirit, recognizing that we live in a spiritual world is just merely the first step. What do we do with what's spiritual? There are spiritual forces at work in this world that are evil, that are against you, that are seeking your destruction, not your benefit, not life and life abundantly. Uh, And then there are spiritual forces at work for your good. Let me give you a list here, for example, uh, behind me, of different things that I think our culture would consider spiritual. Now, I'm going to talk about how that which is spiritual is much broader than these things, but these things that I think in our culture would obviously recognize are spiritual things. So the first thing is mediums and Ouija boards. Alright, so that's one, that's a spiritual thing. You're trying to get intact with something that is not of this world, something that's beyond it. Um, I think most of us would say, though, that's clearly a spiritual evil, right? Uh, trying to contact the dead um, is not a good thing. It's not something God wants us to do. And certainly trying to contact with an Ouija board is something that's bad. Now, whether you think it's totally fake or phony, which probably 99.9% of it is, uh, but nevertheless, we would say if there's anything spiritual there, it's not a spiritual good. Astrology, a little less so. Maybe it's just kind of fun and games, but not of God, right? We're not saying that God's in charge of these things. We're just trying to predict the future with our own sort of spiritual uh, approach. Mysticism might be something similar. And you say, well, maybe you can be a Christian mystic. Um, But, you know, mysticism kind of gets into that weird spiritual world. Most people would see that on the other side. Uh, Meditation. Okay, now we're in a neutral territory. Uh, All different religions meditate. Meditating could be something that is good, but the scriptures call us to meditate as well. Meditate on the word of God. Praying. Okay, now you think, well, we're in a little more solid ground. (laughs) 
Uh, praying is certainly a spiritual thing that we do, uh, but it is a spiritual good for the most part. We're praying to God. We're in communication. Obviously, we're in this 40 days of prayer. I'll go a little faster here. Uh, you got fortune tellers trying to tell the future. Again, we're on the spiritual evil side, superstitions. Bible study. We study the Bible because we want to know God more. It's not about something physical. It's something spiritual. Uh, Worship and fasting. These are all spiritual things, but they're on a different spectrum. Some are good. Some are bad, depending on the situation. Uh, Fasting, by the way, we encourage people to fast during this 40 days. Not for the whole 40 days. (laughs) So if you want to try the whole 40 days, uh, just be ready to eat. Probably on day three or four. All right? Because that's a long time to fast. Although I have heard of people doing 40-day fast. It's pretty incredible in, in my opinion but I talked to some folks who have fasted for the first time in their life now, that's pretty encouraging that people here who've been Christians for many years are saying this is the first time in my life I've ever fasted and used the spiritual discipline that God has given me uh, to grow when it comes to Jesus we see the one who has complete spiritual authority he is the Lord of all that is seen and unseen he is the one who gives true spiritual victory. Look with me, if you will, at Luke 8, 26 to 39. Jesus gives us spiritual victory. We read the story. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart from the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus gives us spiritual victory. There's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along where we're going. Uh, But four points this morning as we look at this miracle of Jesus and how it applies to us today. Again, we live in a spiritual world of spiritual good and spiritual evil. But spiritual victory comes from Jesus. First, notice in verses 26 to 29 that spiritual darkness 
is destructive to our lives. It is destructive to our lives. Look at 26. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples and they are sailing across uh, the Sea of Galilee. This is in the northern country. Uh, So they're going from one side of the sea. This is where Jesus walked on water, where he calmed the storm, which we may look at later on in the series. Uh, But here he is crossing it on a boat after the calming of the storm, going to the other side. And uh, this is, uh, we actually, our group who went to Israel did get a chance to visit the Sea of Galilee. And I got a picture here. Uh, So this sea, one thing I've noticed is it's not a sea, it's a lake. It's fresh water, but it's huge. In my mind, I always pictured it as a kind of smaller little lake. Uh, it's actually a very large lake. It's, an, it's enormous. Um, here we are crossing, and you can see that's one boat in front of us, uh, and we're on a boat. But if you notice there, that there are sort of mountains in the background. Uh, so that's the idea. They're crossing from, on the boat from one side to the other side. And actually, they, as Jews, are now going into Gentile territory. It's a little mini mission strip he's taking his disciples on by boat. Uh, They're going across the sea. Verse 27, Jesus steps out on land and there meets him a man. His name is never given. uh, His official name is never given. From the city who had demons. He's possessed. He's crazy, as we'll see here as well. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. So he's running around naked. And he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. Uh, He's living, he's homeless. In living in a graveyard, in a sense. 28, when he saw Jesus, he cries out and falls down before him with a loud voice. So, screaming and yelling here. And he yells out, what have you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? And begs Jesus not to torment him. Look at verse 29. He commanded the unclean spirit to come out. And we give it a little bit more of a commentary in verse 29. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard. And bound with chains and shackles, but he would break them. He has almost a superhuman strength because he's lost his mind and he's possessed here by, as we said, a spiritual darkness, spiritual evil, and would drive him out into the desert. Uh, The majority of Israel is desert, and most of the desert is not a habitable place to live. Uh, It'll kill you. And so he's out there in the desert all by himself, a mad, crazed man. Friends, what do we see here? Really, you almost get the picture of a horror movie. Uh, right? This is, almost sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? This description. I mean, you've got a guy who's living in the tombs and is naked and cut up and screaming and breaking the bonds and yelling and just a guy who that nobody could, could, could subdue and chain up. And Jesus steps right into the horror movie. How many people here like horror movies? Okay, I'm going to guess I'm not going to get a lot. Too many hands, but maybe not. Okay, I, uh, I did see some hands. So now I, can, I, I know who's a, who's a horror movie fan. I'm not a huge horror movie fan. I think they get too dark, obviously. But there's a couple that I like, and I'll tell you two of them. Uh, one is Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I'm not recommending this to any kids here, just so you know. But I'm just saying. And some people would say it's not a horror movie. It's a thriller, but you know what I'm getting at here. And in the movie, you have a crazy guy. Uh, you guys have a guy that's similar to this. He's out of control. He's, been, he's broken from reality. And because of that, he's actually murdering and killing people. And the whole point of it is they're trying to stop him. And they find another crazy sort of uh, murderer to talk to to try to connect with this other one. And the other one's a more recent one called Split. And it's about a guy with multiple personalities, dozens of personalities. And one of the personalities in him is an animal. That's not even a human And when he thinks he's this animal, when this sort of personality overtakes him, it gives him a a sort of superhuman strength. Uh, But they're dark. Horror movies are meant to be dark and disturbing. And what do we see here? Jesus steps right into this darkness. 
Christopher Hitchens, he's an atheist, a late atheist. Uh, he criticized the Bible, obviously, as an atheist, but one of the things he criticized is this story. He liked to pick on this story. He called it a ghastly tale, an ugly story in the Bible. And what I would want to say to him, if he was still alive and I got a chance to talk to him, is, you're right. It's not meant to be a pretty picture. <laughs> because sometimes our lives are like this. They're full of chaos and disorder and darkness. And Jesus is not afraid to step into that picture either. I just notice that this is, what, this is the, what spiritual darkness will do to our lives. This is it's sort of if a person could be completely, recklessly given over to spiritual darkness. This is the end. This is what the enemy wants for you. He wants you to be alone from everybody, unclothed, full of violence and hatred and lacking even control of your senses. I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but when Jesus asks him what's his name, what does he say? He doesn't say Jack, (laughs) but whatever his name is. He's identified now by this demon possession. He identifies himself as legion. He's so overtaken by this darkness that He's lost his entire identity. Now you say, I, I can't relate to that, Rick. I mean, that's, that's a strange guy right there. It's not my experience. But friends, understand we are all, in a sense, oppressed by forces that are beyond us. Um, this, again, is where the enemy would take you if he had the opportunity. He would want to pull you this deep and dark. But all of us, friends, are being regularly tempted and attacked by spiritual forces and are in a sense in spiritual bondage without the mercy of God that's found in Christ. If we're not at his level, that doesn't mean we're not on the same scale in need of a savior who is Jesus. It's a good reminder to us too that nobody is too far away from God that he can't reach out and save them. I mean, I think about it here. If you were to enter into the first century world and you had to ask yourself, who is the last person in the world that would ever come to follow Jesus and be saved? You might, you might pick this guy, right? This guy who's living on the other side of the lake there. He's in Gentile territory. He's living among all these pig farmers. It smells bad. It's terrible. He's out of his mind. He's a violent man. He's, he's totally crazed. That's the last guy in the world that would ever follow Jesus. And what do we see here? Jesus makes a special trip over to bring him to faith. I'll just say, think about it in your own life. Is there anyone that you know that you would say, that guy is never going to be a Christian? That lady is never coming to faith in Jesus. They are too far away. Be reminded again that God's grace can reach to any depth and to any length. Spiritual darkness is destructive to our lives, but Jesus steps into that world and makes us his own. Look at verses 30 to 33. 30 to 33. Jesus has complete control over all spiritual reality. I love what happens. Look at verse 30. Jesus asks him, what is your name? Uh, Your name in that day, and even still to some sense, is not just a title that you have, but a summary of your being. Who are you is kind of the idea here. And as I said, the man identifies not as his actual name, which we're never given in this story, but as legion. And he, called, he says, for there are many that had entered into him. Uh, the word legion, as a military term, uh, the Romans used, and it was to, used to describe an army of 6,000. Now, does that mean there are 6,000 
demons that have possessed this man. I don't know. I mean, it could be just a generalization. It could be just a name. Uh, we're not given sort of the specifics. And one of the parallel accounts, it does say there are 2,000 pigs that get thrown into the ocean. So perhaps there's that many. And what's going on there? I certainly don't know all the details. 31, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Notice the language here. He's falling down. They're begging him. They're looking for permission from him. He's in complete control here. Uh, there's, not even a conqu- uh, 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 there's not even a competition going on here at all. Verse 32, a large herd of pigs are feeding there on the hillside. They beg him to be sent into them. He gives them permission. The, pigs, the demons go into the pigs. The pigs run into the ocean and they all drown. Now you, ask, you might ask the question, Rick, can you explain to me how pigs just got possessed by demons and all ran into the ocean and died? And my answer is, no, I can't. <laughs> there are some things that are really beyond us. And in all honesty, I really don't know what's going on here. I've read some commentaries. And, uh, but there are some things that are perhaps beyond our understanding. And that's okay. Uh, there are some dark things happening here. Um, did Jesus actually send the pigs into the sea? Or is that something that the, they did on their own after they went into the pigs? What was the purpose of them going into the pigs? Why did they go into the ocean or to the sea? I don't know. I don't know any of the answers to any of those questions. Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, what I do know is Jesus is in complete control here. And he makes that obvious. If you're in a fight with someone, and or two people are in a fight, let's say, and one person is begging the other person not to torment them, I think it's pretty safe to say they lost the fight. <laughs> uh, if this really is, think about this, if this really is a legion of 6,000 evil spiritual forces in this one man, they don't even attempt... They don't even attempt to challenge Jesus. They know something about Jesus that even other people don't know yet. What is the first thing they say about him? Uh, You are the son of the most high God. Most of the disciples haven't figured that out yet. But they know his authority. And it's never under question. Understand, friends, that Jesus has control over all spiritual reality. We sometimes like to think that it's sort of an even battle. You know, you have sort of angels, demons, Jesus, devil, right? That's not the picture in Scripture, even if you see that on TV shows and stuff. Jesus is the one who maintains complete control. They beg him for mercy, and in a sense, he sort of shows them a a little bit of mercy. Uh, They know that in the end, they're going to the abyss, a place of final destruction, and they ask for him to wait and not send them there yet, and he seems to do that. So he even shows a little bit of mercy To them, so it seems. Jesus has complete control. Uh, You know, uh, I'm excited about watching the game today. I know last week we had our rally day picnic during the Patriots game, the season opener. And I want to thank all of you guys who are big Patriots fans who made a choice to come to rally day instead of watching the Patriots game. And if you're here and you didn't go to the rally day and you did decide to watch the Patriots game, God still loves you, and God's a forgiving and merciful God, right? So, uh, but today, I'm looking forward to watch the game uh, here today. But if I were to ask you, who's a better player, Tom Brady or Robert Kraft? Those who know the Patriots. Robert Kraft's the owner of the Patriots. You would say, Rick, that's a nonsensical question. <laughs> one of them owns the team. One of them chooses who's going to be one of his players. One of them writes the checks. 
to the players. One of them can trade anyone he wants to. One of them can cl- sell the team if he wants to. He has complete control over the team. The other one has to play by the rules of the field. You, you can't compare the owner of the team to Tom Brady. That just doesn't even make any sense. That's the situation we have here, friends. Now, Jesus is not really even in the battle. He has complete victory and complete control. And I would just say, friends, look to Jesus. I would say uh, one very important point. Don't, don't worry too much about these details. Uh, don't, don't study occult stuff. <laughs> don't study demonology. Uh, it's not helpful to you. Uh, what's the story of anyone's read The Crucible? Uh, there's the one, um, one of the pastors there, Reverend Hale, who comes to town. And he's a, a student of demonology. And uh, he comes and he actually, this is, Reverend Hale was a real person uh, in Salem, and, but in the, in the play, The Crucible, a lot of it sort of ad-libbed, added to the story. But he's a student of sort of the occult, and what does he end up doing? Causing more of a problem there in Salem. Uh, just adding to the hysteria so that more people are getting killed, and he finally realizes his mistake later on. Uh, but friends, don't, don't worry about those types of things. Focus on Jesus. I like what C.S. Lewis said. It's a lengthier quote, so I'm going to put it up on the screen here if we can. Uh, but he mentions that there are two different problems. Here we are. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. And certainly a lot of people do that. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, I mean the demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Isn't that a great quote? Two, two errors. Disbelieve and don't recognize that we're always constantly in a spiritual battle or to feel overly interested in it. And I would say, friends, focus on Jesus. I've had people who've come to me. Um, I've had some people who have said this, this story uh, reflects so much of my own life. Isn't that interesting that uh, we think it's kind of a weird story? But I know someone who said that their life was filled with conspiracy theories about life and people who are after them, uh, was filled with mental illness and craziness. Uh, and Jesus stepped in and gave her peace. <laughs> Isn't that amazing, friends? And certainly people who are addicted to alcohol and drugs can sort of relate to this sort of chaotic life or fits of rage can understand what it's like to live in this darkness where, where our understanding uh, of reality breaks from us and we don't know what's real and what's not real. And, and it's into that world as we see that Jesus steps in and has complete control over spiritual reality. I, I remember talking to one person and she was describing all these weird things happening in her life. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a skeptic by nature. I think 99.9%, as I said, of a lot of the stuff we hear, fortune tellers and all that stuff, is just fake, phony stuff. So don't, don't get me wrong. But she was describing all these different things that were happening in her life, in her house, and she really believed there was some type of oppression going on here. She asked for, me, asked for advice for me as a pastor, and I have a very simple answer for that. It's not even that hard. Focus on Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what's real, what's not real. I don't know what's going on there in your house. I don't know any of that stuff. Here's what I know. Jesus is in complete control. And if you focus on him, all that other stuff isn't going to make a difference in the end of the day anyways. Uh, he, for him, there is no contest. Uh, we are in a spiritual battle, certainly. Um, and for that battle, we want to focus in on the Lord and trust that he's in control. Verse 34 to 36. Jesus brings shalom. 
into his followers' lives. Look at 34. When the herdsmen, so all those who are sort of herding the pigs here, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. They want to tell everybody about what they just experienced, this crazy event uh, that just happened. 35, the people went out to see what had happened. They come to Jesus and look what they find. They find the man sitting at the feet of Jesus. Isn't that great? Clothed. This is the guy who couldn't, you couldn't chain to keep still. And now he's sitting still at the feet of Jesus. Clothed and in his right mind. And they're afraid. They go tell about how the man is healed. And I think that Luke has a double meaning in the word healed. The Greek word there, uh, sotizo, uh, means saved or healed. So yes, he's healed of this sort of demon possession. But more than that, he's saved. He's now one of Jesus' disciples. Amazing. Going from where he was to a now a man in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. Interesting, the rabbis of his day, uh, they only wanted to accept uh, promising, young, clear-cut students. Jesus takes former crazed demoniacs. <laughs> he, he welcomes anyone who would come into his presence. He calls them to himself. Jesus offers shalom. I love that, Greek, that uh, Hebrew word, shalom, uh, because there's no English word that really sort of summarizes it. We use the word peace, which is close, but shalom means more than that. It's, it's being complete, being whole, having peace, peace with God and peace with people, uh, being what God intended you to be, the way he created us to be. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had shalom. They had peace with each other. They had peace with God. They lived without sin. That's what shalom is. And sin, was, sin entered the world, broke that shalom. Israel's striving for that shalom again and again as they fall back into sin and God restores them again and again. And then Jesus comes and offers us that wholeness, that completeness, that fullness. Even into the darkest place, perhaps, in the first century world, he brings this man peace. I, was, I love uh, the story of Andrew Clavin. Um, I'm going to play a video at the end of the sermon, I think, but here's a picture of him. Uh, Andrew Clavin is a pretty famous uh, mystery writer. Uh, he, some of his books have been turned into uh, movies as well. Uh, but he describes his own life. He's Jewish, but he came to faith in Jesus as his Savior and as his Lord. Uh, but he describes it. He said, for him, life was like traveling in a dark night on a boat in a storm. But then when he came to Jesus, he said, I didn't leave the storm, I didn't leave the boat, I didn't leave the dark night, but I see the North Star. Isn't that great? So I know where I'm going. I know where I'm heading. I have some clarity about life and what it's about. Friends, we should be pursuing this shalom that he offers right here. Jesus offers us peace. And I don't know right now where you're at spiritually. Uh, maybe you're here and you are going through this sort of spiritual oppression, this spiritual chaos in your life. And I just want you to know that this isn't the only time <laughs> that Jesus has offered peace to someone. He's done it again and again throughout history and even today. He's the one who offers that peace and he does it through his death for us on the cross as he bears our sin in our place. In his resurrection from the dead, where he conquers the grave. That message of his love for us, and his mercy and his peace goes out to the ends of the earth, and it's come to us. It's come to me as well. 
friends. Understand, too, that in our lives, we continue to pursue that peace. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I don't want to give the impression that the day you become a Christian, everybody has perfect shalom until the day you die. Not even close. It's it's a constant uphill battle. Uh, Again, there's still a, a spiritual warfare that goes on. And one of the ways that we continue to pursue that peace is through prayer. And that's one of the reasons why we're focusing on prayer during this 40 days. Uh, to get people seeking the Lord and seeking the peace that he himself offers. I love it. There's another quote in the book. By the way, I bought more of these books. They went flying off the shelf. Uh, I bought 25 and there were only six left last week. And I bought five of the kids' books and uh, I think four of them were gone. So there's more there now of both books. So if you'd like a free book about uh, the one by R.A. Torrey, How to Pray, and the, the, the one for kids, what every child should know about prayer, they're free. Uh, on one condition that you really kind of promise to read it. So if you're going to read it, take one for free. But I love what he says towards the beginning of this book, those of you who have started to read it. Uh, why this consistent, persistent, sleepless, overcoming prayer? Why is it so necessary? Because there is a devil. He is cunning. He is mighty. He never rests. He is continually plotting the downfall of the children of God. If the children of God relax in prayer, the devil will succeed. In ensnaring them. So yes, there is a battle. And the way we battle for this shalom is by prayer, being in communication and relationship with God. But also understand that this shalom will never come fully in this life. This shalom only comes fully when Christ returns or we pass on from this world and go be with him. We never get it. We sort of hang on to it for a little while and then it escapes our grip and then we pursue it again and again and again. Until finally Christ comes and makes us his own and sets the world right. So friends, understand that as we pursue this shalom, if you don't have it right now, things are going chaotic and you're struggling spiritually, understand it's part of life, it's part of every Christian's life, continue to pursue it, continue to look to him. Verses 37 to 39, Jesus puts us on a new spiritual mission. A new spiritual mission. Look how this story ends. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart uh, from them, for they were seized with great fear. I used to be kind of hard on the people of the Gerasenes here, that they're sort of rejecting Jesus here. Uh, But actually, I think their response is a pretty natural one, or maybe even, honestly, a good one. Uh, They are afraid because they're finding something that is beyond them. Uh, This is not something they've ever encountered before. A man who can walk up to them, again, they've tried their hardest to subdue this crazy guy. Uh, They've done everything they can to sort of get him into order. And here's Jesus who walks in and in one moment (laughs) has the man sitting clothed and at his feet. Uh, This is frightening for them. And remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So their response is one of fear. They're saying, this is something we don't want anything to do with. We want you gone, Jesus. This is beyond what we can sort of get our minds around at this point in time. Uh, Not the man, though. Verse 38, what does the man do? He begs Jesus to go with him. So before he's begging uh, that the demons would be thrown, would not be thrown into the abyss. Now the man, who's got his identity back here, is begging what? That he could follow Jesus. And Jesus' response may seem kind of harsh at first. Verse 39, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. But actually, I think his response uh, is just demonstrates that all of us are called to a different mission. <laughs> all of us are called to a unique calling in life. Uh, Jesus had a unique calling. Right now, he's focusing in on Israel. 
He, all of his disciples are Jews, and he comes to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. So this Gentile is not part of that plan right now. Does that mean that Jesus doesn't care about him? Absolutely not. Of course he does. He's got a different plan for him. Uh, if Peter were to stay and try to reach the Gerasenes, they probably wouldn't listen to him. If John stayed and tried to share, they probably wouldn't listen to him. But they might listen to this man that everybody knows. The guy that everybody is afraid of. The guy you stay away from. That guy who's now dressed in his right mind and sharing about the grace of God, they might listen to him. And so his calling for him is to go home and there proclaim all that God's done. And he does it, claiming throughout the whole city. And in one of the parallel accounts, not just that city, the whole Decapolis, the whole ten cities in that area, all that God has done for him. I think about it, friends, that all of us are called as well to a unique calling. Actually, there is a general calling for every Christian. Uh, there are certain things we can say that every Christian is called to do. <laughs> every Christian is called to read the Bible. You don't have to say, I don't think I'm one of those people that's called to study the Bible. No, you are. <laughs> if you follow Jesus, you're called to study the Bible. Every Christian is called to be part of a church. So some people who say, I just think that the Holy Spirit's telling me I don't need to be part of a church. Sorry, but the Bible is pretty clear on that one. It's not really up for grabs. Every, every Christian's called to be part of a local church. It may take some time to find one and all that, but we're called to be part of a church. Every Christian is called to prayer. Every Christian is called to witness to, about Jesus to other people. It's not something that's only given to certain people who have a unique gift. Every Christian is called to do that. But how we then go about doing those things can be very specific to, to how God uniquely calls us. For the disciples, it's to go back to Israel. For this man, it's to go back, to the, to back home and begin to proclaim about Jesus. How God is calling you to serve your local church is unique to you. How he's called you to witness, who he's called you to witness to and disciple and to care for, those are things that are very specific. Uh, take, for example, this man's calling. I think this man's calling is probably more closely akin to what ours is. Uh, we're all more, more likely called to go home. So if you're wondering, am I called to go to the mission field on the other side of the planet? Uh, probably not. Yet, does God give that calling to some people? Certainly. But many of us, this is the exact calling he has for him. Go home and declare how much God has done for you right there in your own neighborhood. And your own co-workers and, and the school that surrounds you. Uh, friends, my calling, uh, God made clear 20 years ago, 23 years ago, uh, was to be a pastor. Uh, at least for this time period. I don't know if that will ever change in the future. He's got a unique calling for me. He's got a unique calling for you. Everyone has a different calling. We're called to take all uh, that God has given us in the scriptures and then prayerfully seek his will uniquely for us. Jesus gives us spiritual victory. But spiritual darkness is destructive to our lives. It leads nowhere good in the end. Jesus has complete control over all spiritual reality. Take comfort in that. There's not even a battle. There's not even a challenge when it comes to him, as we see right here in this passage. He brings shalom into his followers' lives. Peace. And he sets us on a new mission to serve him. Uh, recognizing that we are spiritual is only the first step. <laughs> but then the question is, are we pursuing Jesus the source of spiritual good. And have we received that shalom that comes from him? I want to show you this video by Andrew Clavin. It's done by Chosen People Ministries. And uh, it's called 
fittingly, I found shalom. <laughs> uh, but Andrew Claven, uh, as I mentioned, is a, a, a well-known author, and he describes sort of the chaos of his life where he was at a point even suicidal. And that's where God steps in and brings peace to him. So I want to pray, and then I'm going to show you the video. Take a minute, bow your head with me. Lord, we recognize that you are indeed the Lord of all things, seen and unseen, Lord Jesus. We recognize, Lord, that yes, there is spiritual evil in this world. There is that which is in rebellion against you. And we recognize, Lord, it isn't even just the things that we see as spiritual. Everything we do, in a sense, has a spiritual value to it. Going to work, taking care of our kids, how we deal with our finances, all of it, Lord, affects our spiritual lives. And we want, Lord, to find shalom, peace in you. Lord, I do pray for anyone here who is going through a struggle in this very sense, is feeling a spiritual oppression in their life, that they recognize even, perhaps, that it goes beyond the mere physical circumstances of their life. They recognize that something is oppressing them, hurting them, after them, causing suffering in their lives. They would look to Jesus, the Lord of life, who offers peace. But for all of us, help us to recognize, Lord, that we are in the pursuit of shalom. That we never have it fully in this life, but we can grow towards it and recognize that you offer it to us. That you, Lord Jesus, set us on a new mission when we become yours. You give us a unique calling to us. Yes, to study the scriptures, to be part of a church family, to be in prayer and to witness about you. But then how do you uniquely call us and want us to serve you? Help us, Lord, to rejoice in the peace of Jesus as we await the day of Christ's return. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I was in so much pain. I did begin crying out to God in this kind of sick, superstitious way. I, mean, I remember, you know, trying all of these kind of spiritual experiments to try.